Welcome to Fundamentally Human, a podcast about mental health topics unpacked in an easy to understand way. My name is Shervin and I'm your host. Let's get started. So hi everyone, welcome back to another episode, which is actually going to piggyback off my previous one about being exhausted from taking care of others. Specifically, I wanted to focus on being exhausted. And to jump right into that, some of you might have heard about seasonal affective disorder or SAD, which typically appears during the late fall or early winter time. And it could be because of the darker days, the colder nights, and some of the symptoms people will see is usually experiencing a loss of interest in activities, feeling sluggish, having low energy, feeling hopeless, maybe oversleeping, taking more naps than usual, and changes in appetite. And when you have this mixed in with the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, maybe you have deadlines at the end of the year, and then you have to go shopping for presents, you have this dinner, that dinner, this party, that party, it all adds up. And it can feel easy to feel really tired and burnt out and you're just physically and mentally exhausted because of all the stress and things just piling up. And I know that a lot of us probably have heard of the term being burnt out, especially during the pandemic, but let's dive a bit deep into it and learn more about how to spot it and how to manage it because most of us, if not already, have experienced burnout in our lives. So I'm joined today by Shannon, who's going to help me understand this topic further. And by the end of this episode, I'm hoping we have some tools in our toolkit to help us manage burnout. So welcome to the podcast, Shannon. Can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I am Shannon Hears, and I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I'm also the founder and owner of a group private practice located in Colorado and of a supervision program, which provides clinical supervision to therapists. Um, And that is um, open to anyone um, who is interested in doing that. I've been working in the mental health field for over 25 years and um, have experienced uh, professional burnout myself. So I'm very happy and excited to, to talk about this topic today. Thank you for being here. And I guess to really jump right into it, can you, well, you mentioned professional burnout, but what does burnout really mean? Or how do you talk about burnout with the clinicians at your practice and with your clients? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do look at burnout as, while it does encompass both your personal life and professional life, I think people tend to use it more when they're talking about their work or their career. I'm really burnt out, you know, and, and that that is more of a long, long-term thing. It's not just I had a bad day or I had a tough day. Like, just burnt out. I'm done with my job. And so I think that's where a lot of people tend to use that term, although um, it's not really just the job that they're burnt out with. They're burnt out with with the life <laughs> that they're having right then um, and and their personal life and, and how what you're doing in your personal life and and how much you're doing and how how much you're giving to other people and, and and the lack of time and energy you have to put into yourself that all kind of contributes to burnout. So I don't know 
know if that answers your question about like, what is burnout, but um, I'm guessing that most people can resonate that they've been in a place that they have experienced burnout before they kind of know what it is. Um, I, I really look at it as you're, um, it's different than depression for sure. Um, but I'll take work as an example. You don't want to go into work and you don't want to change that you want to get excited about work anymore. You just have given up hope that it's going to, that work or your career is going to be fulfilling for you or have meaning or purpose for you anymore. And and you're, you're not really interested in getting that back. So especially maybe in a job or a career that you were once really passionate about. Um, And so sometimes you can bounce back from burnout and sometimes you can't. Um, And it depends on when you catch it and how you intervene and and really how far deep you are into the burnout cycle. Um, So some symptoms of burnout specifically could be, you know, as you said before, exhaustion, lack of sleep, difficulty concentrating, um, just constantly thinking about work or dreading going into work. Uh, If you're a therapist, dreading meeting with the clients that you used to really care about. And now you just find yourself really having to dig deep to find some of that empathy um, that you have for people. So burnout can be very dangerous because it doesn't just affect you. It affects other people around around you and it can affect the work that you do also. And I like what you said about dreading, you know, when you start not wanting to do something, when you start, well, it's not being nervous or being afraid of it. It's just that feeling of not wanting to do it, not feeling motivated, waking up thinking, oh, I'd rather do anything else but go to work. And it's actually, I I didn't consider it that way where burnout is typically associated with our work because you don't really hear people being burnt out with their life. It's more they feel anxious about it or they're exhausted by their lives in, in terms of they don't want to deal or they dread certain social interactions, but there's a bit of a difference there. So that's cool to differentiate. But, you know, when we think about burnout, dread is part of spotting it. But do you think there are other stages? And I say this because I think about something like the seven stages of grief, where there are some more ways to conceptualize it. How would you conceptualize burnout other than dreading it? <laughs> sure, because I do, do think there are stages. That's a loaded question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if anyone has ever kind of designated these are the different stages of burnout, or if they have, it's not a widely kind of used model. Um but I, I definitely think there's early stages of burnout, there's middle stages, and there's end stages, you know, um, starting with the end stage, like it is really hard to bounce back from that. If you're at end stage burnout, you really, most people just have to get out, get out of that job, get out of what is causing them so much stress of their life, do something that is pretty drastic. Um, so we want to do everything possible to prevent us from getting to that end stage burnout. Um, so that's when you see the very dramatic videos of maybe someone quitting their job and, and everyone's like, yeah, stick it to the man. Right. <laughs> um, but you know, that's not a normal, typical response to like wanting to leave your job. Right. That's like, they got so, so frustrated, so upset, so into their burnout that there was literally no other option for them to do that. 
Um, so we don't ever want to get there. <laughs> um, I would look at middle stages of burnout is um, this is where you're probably really recognizing the impact, the negative impact that your work, your lifestyle, whatever you're doing is having on you. And you're really noticing it. You're really having trouble going to sleep at night or, or um, you're calling in sick to work a lot or you're avoiding all your social activities or friends. Um so those are kind of middle stages of burnout where I think most of us tend to recognize, oh, something's different, something's wrong. It's having to do a lot with work probably, but it's not usually just work. It's also like there's a lot of personal stressors going on in their life at that time. Um, and that's when a lot of people are able to recognize burnout and maybe do something about it. And that's good because you're not so severely into your burnout that you can't still, you know, recapture the passion that you had for your work or your job before. The early stages of burnout, I really are are harder, harder to recognize. Maybe it's like, oh, I need a mental health day. And then, gosh, one mental health day wasn't quite enough for me. I really need two. Well, two wasn't quite enough for me. I really need a week. <laughs> you know, and after a week, well, gosh, a week wasn't rejuvenating. I still need a little bit more. So it's hard to characterize and recognize that as burnout in the beginning. You just know you need a break. Um, the difference between, you know, being burnt out and just needing a break, if you need a break and you take a break and you come back, then you're good to go. But if you're in early stages of burnout, sometimes a break is not enough. And I love the way you just were so detailed with that and why I asked such a big question that could almost be impossible to answer because I find that when we think about the word burnout and the way we use it, it's become such a generalized term, almost like when people mention, oh, this is making me anxious. But when we really look at, okay, what does anxiety look like? What are you feeling? What's causing it? What's it coming from? Then you get a lot more understanding of what's really going on. And the same thing with burnout, having that early, middle, and end stage, and then also looking at, well, How's your sleep being affected or your relationships or your focus or your motivation? Or, you know, is it coming from a lot of tasks at work? Or is it coming from too much interaction or too many this or that? And trying to dive deep. And I think I said dive deep like 10 times. That's my phrase of the day. But when we use a magnifying glass and look at, you know, what's really going on, it's another way for us to deal with and manage and work through what burnout is because it's like you said well okay you take one day off that's not enough you take two days and one week when do you feel better it sometimes could be like a band-aid when you take a couple of days off but is anything really being done to you know give yourself a more sustainable approach to your work so you don't keep facing it does that kind of make sense? Because, you know, when you take one or two days off, it helps in the moment, but you come back to kind of that same routine. What would you say are some things that we can do to make more, doesn't have to be permanent, but more effective ways for us to manage burnout? So yes, in, in the therapy and counseling or, or mental health field in general, and possibly even in the medical field, you know, to, to make it even bigger, we really look at burnout prevention as a really key strategy, but 
but not a once and done. Burnout prevention is a long-term plan. It's something that you you do actively every day, every month, every quarter, every year to help prevent your burnout. Um, you know, and it could include, you know, a plethora of self-care strategies that you do to take care of yourself, you know, on a daily basis. Maybe it's as simple as get enough sleep or eat healthy or take meal breaks. Um, and those are really sustainable things that you can do every day. Now, that's not just doing that is not going to prevent burnout. You have to incorporate a lot of the other stuff, longer term strategies also. So that may be something like really setting limits on your workday, maybe working no more than eight hours a day or nine hours a day, you know, turning off the computer um, and your screen time, you know, a couple hours before you go to bed so that you can get some of that deeper sleep. Um, it can include um, getting support for your own anxiety through doing your own therapy so that you're not overwhelmed with your work anxiety and it's not coming into your personal life. You know, so there are so many different types of burnout prevention strategies that people can use and it's very individualized as to what works for each person. Um, but I think the difference is, like I said, it's not a once and done. It's something that you need to do actively and you need to do ongoing to help prevent the burnout so that you can, you know, stay in your job or career that you are very passionate about. You spent years training and getting education into and all the knowledge that you have in your brain, you know, um, making sure that that stays in your field. And I love that the piece about being preventative because it's like you said, making sure you're getting enough sleep regularly, you're eating well and balanced, getting some movement in. And then with work, it's, you know, let's say if someone is working nine to five, then it's making sure that after five, you're not really looking at work things anymore, especially if you're working from home or fellow clinicians or therapists, maybe just taking on five or six clients a day and not trying to do eight or nine or 10 every single day. That's a lot to take on. Or if you're prone to looking at your work messages, maybe saying, okay, after six o'clock, no more work messages. Things like that. You know, I think working from home has really blurred those boundaries that people might not have realized. And all of that contributes to little pieces of burnout adding up and taking away from that preventative care. Because it is a lot, I wouldn't say easier, but being able to have that healthy routine is much more sustainable for you and healthier compared to always dipping your toe in burnout and then you take a couple of days off you feel better and you get back into the same dipping your toes in there and feeling exhausted that's a cycle that can be so much harder to break uh yes you're absolutely right like you know as with almost anything early intervention and prevention is is definitely yes. key. um and, and i really liked when you said like you know working from home and all the virtual work that we do now that we never used to do before has really helped, uh, has really caused some issues. Now we're commuting a lot less and that can be very stressful for some people, <laughs> but there's also usually not a transition time between work and home uh, if you don't have that commute home. Um, and that transition time could often be like a, a message to your brain, like, okay, turn off work, 
turn turn on personal time if you had a typical nine to five job, like you said, um, or you know, even if it wasn't a nine to five job, a job that you drive to and see people in, you know, it was just a lot easier to leave work at work. And, and now it's hard to leave work at work when work is at home, and you get notifications, you get emails on your phone. Um, yeah, it just it. it I think the other thing is is setting boundaries as we're talking about this, you know, what what are you willing to give to your job? Are you willing to give everything to your job at the expense of your friends, your family, yourself, or are you willing to maybe set some limits with what you give to your job so that you do have time left over to nurture and invest in yourself and others? And that's so true, especially about the transition period, because when I think back to the days, which, wow, that sounds like a long time ago, but when I was working in the office and having to commute, you know, when I come home, I'm not suddenly opening up all my emails and all my work things. I've left that at the office and at work, and I come home usually probably change or shower or make a snack and relax a little bit before I do whatever I have to do next. But when you're at home, you might still be on the same computer or you're sitting in the same spot when you transition from work to personal. So it doesn't feel like there's that boundary or barrier and it could be helpful to have a small routine. Maybe it's going outside the door and then coming back in and then resetting your environment. Even if that sounds like it's going over the top, but anything to create that change or shift is going to trigger your brain to know that, okay, I'm getting off of work mode now. Yes, the rituals that we used to have just aren't there anymore. We need to be really conscious about putting them into place, you know, now. And if, if you don't have a natural ritual that ends your professional day and starts your personal day, then how can you create one? You know, how can you create something that kind of winds yourself down from that day? Uh, you know, mindfulness exercises, any sort of meditation, vis- visualization, breathing, mindfulness stuff will really help with that. And and that's also a really good burnout prevention technique is, is some mindfulness work. Because what that allows your brain to do is have a rest from all the multitasking that you have to do, a rest from remembering all the details that you have to remember every day and think about all the things um, that you have to do. And put building in a lot of those little rests throughout the day is a really good strategy to keep yourself focused, both on what you're doing professionally, help, help, prevent burnout, and then refocus on what you need to do before or after work. And what stood out to me just now was the stopping your brain from having to multitask so much. Oftentimes, we're trying to do five different things and remember 10 different things, and then we're all over the place. So being able to just even having a five-minute routine from working to personal, whether it's mindfulness exercise, whether it's going on your phone and just looking at random videos and not thinking about anything else just to shut down a little bit, I think that can be really helpful. And something I notice, especially with a lot of clients, is they'll think about these things like, oh, I can do XYZ for self-care, but when it comes to it, they don't practice any of it. And When this happens, one of the suggestions that I tend to make or encourage clients to do is maybe just make a list and write it down. 
then it's more tangible. So it's not in your thoughts anymore, but you've either started a creative routine. You have a bank of things that actually are things that you can do. For example, not everyone takes a bath every day or not everyone goes for walks all the time, but it's things that you can actually do that make sense for you that you can pick out of. You know, you can even put them all in a hat and take one out each day. And this is what you do for that day. Yeah, for sure. I'm a huge fan of lists. Um, Sometimes I write my list and I don't remember where I put my list. So that's an issue (laughs) of itself. But, you know, jumping back to burnout, you know, one of the things that I encourage all all the therapists that work with me and all all the supervisees that I work with is to really... um, create a prevention, uh, a burnout prevention strategy and, and checklist so that they have it available at all times. And if we're, if, if they're not maybe recognizing some early signs of burnout, but I am, or someone around them is, it's, it's super easy to say, Hey, can you go, go check your list? You know, what do you have on there that, that maybe you thought you were doing or, or once you were doing and kind of, you know, aren't doing as much anymore. Um, and, and what do you want to, um, engage in to help help your burnout from getting even further down the path. Mm-hmm. And we talked a lot about preventative care and what some of the stages are and how we can work through those. But now I'm curious about how you can spot burnout. So from two perspectives, when it's you, how do you spot it for yourself? And then as either a friend or family member or employer or colleague, how would you see that? Mm, that's a hard question on how do you spot it in yourself? <laughs> um, because I think that's the issue is that so many people don't unless they've been through it before. Like I've been through burnout, so I know when I'm getting close to it again. You know, I know what all the signs and symptoms are and how I uniquely, you know, react to burnout. Um, So I think it's always easier to have to depend on some other people for that. Like, hey, has anything been off? Have have I been off? Um, You know, have you noticed anything? Am I complaining more about work? Um, Am I calling in sick a a little bit more? Um, You know, all those things I I think can can be a a really good gauge of, of where you're at in 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 burnout. I mean, obviously it would be ideal if we could all identify the moment we first had a thought and it entered our head, (laughs) you know, right in those early stages. But honestly, for most of us, I just don't know if that's, that's that realistic. Um, so that's why I always encourage you to have a trusted person that you can talk to, you know, whether it is a partner, when it, whether it is a colleague, a family member, a boss, your therapist, you know, whoever, whoever it is that really has a, um, is really able to observe what's going on with you and notice things. Cause sometimes we don't notice them until it's just too late. And it's so true. You know, we talked about, seeing an early and then middle and end stage of burnout. And more often than not, I think most of us, especially when I think about myself, you don't really realize it until that middle stage. And I completely agree. For me, one of my signs of burnout is when I start complaining, dreading and complaining, not wanting to do it, not looking forward to the day, thinking about how many sessions I have to go through until the end of the day. And then I'm thinking, okay, this is, this 
is not good because it's not just not good for me, but it's not good for clients that I connect with. And I guess to continue that, what I end up doing is, like you said, talking it out, telling someone about it. And what I've really focused on in the past year is slowing down. And by slowing down, it's before I would always have going back to lists, like, you know, try to get all these things done each day that includes self-care things, healthy things. And that gets overwhelming sometimes because I'm like, okay, I still have all this that I need to do. So what I've been doing instead is, okay, I can do this one thing today that's going to make me feel better. And it's okay if I can't do the other things. And those things might be priorities or not priorities, but at the end of the day, I needed to recharge and shut down a little before I can do the work that I've set for myself. And I think that takes off a lot of pressure on me. And then, of course, there's that part of us that might think, oh, you know, imposter syndrome, we're not enough and whatnot. But then at the same time, I think about, well, it's quality over quantity for me. I rather do two things really well or one thing really well than to do 10 things at a very subpar output because then I'm going to feel even worse about the work that I do. So for me, it's really when I start complaining and when I start dreading, it's a sign to do the opposite of do more. It's to slow down. Um, yeah, I, I really love that that concept of kind of quality over quantity. And I think, you know, if you ever have been through burnout, that is definitely something you come out on the other side thinking, you know, you're like, nope, it is, I have to, I have to invest in myself. I have to take care of myself in a, in a way that feels meaningful on a regular, meaning daily basis. Um, you know, a lot of people will think, well, that sounds really selfish because if you're doing that for yourself, you're not doing something for others. You're not caring for others or putting, you know, time and effort into your work. But, you know, as you said, if you're not doing that for yourself, if you're not investing in being the best self that you can be, you certainly can't give your best to others. Um, so yeah, I, I like that as a boundary that, that you're setting. And, and I absolutely agree with that. And that's the whole idea of putting the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on others. And when you said the word selfish, it's actually something I hear a lot. You know, I say this to myself sometimes, some clients I hear from, especially my female identifying clients, they often think they're being selfish when they take time to themselves. They're being selfish because they're not helping others or do, they're not doing enough. But it's always about what they can do for others instead of what they're doing for themselves. And that's actually the opposite of selfish because you're trying to put all your marbles everywhere else but your own bowl. And when that happens, then who's going to take care of you? Yeah. And that's when you get burnt oh. out because you're not putting any <laughs> effort back inwards towards yourself. And and you don't have other people who are doing that, you know, and I agree. I hear that a lot from my um, female identified clients also, you know, just the pressure to to do everything and to be everything and to be the perfect employee and to be the perfect wife and mom and, you know, to be the perfect strong, you know, strong, strong woman who does it all. Um, and it's just not possible. It's so, it's unrealistic. It doesn't, no one can do that, <laughs> especially for the long term. Um, and I think 
that kind of thinking also can really lead to burnout because those unrealistic expectations, you know, that we put on ourselves and that's when it becomes really hard to invest in ourselves and it becomes really hard to say, yeah, I'm going to do two things really well today as opposed to 10 things, you know, um, half well, (laughs) Um, because we've been conditioned to think that 10, 10 things is much better than two things uh, because we're getting more done and we're, we're doing more and contributing more. Um, so yeah, I think it's all, there's so many themes here wrapped up together. There's like the yeah. idea of like perfectionism and then there's, you know, self-care and there's burnout and it all really does um, link together. And when I think about what practical or tangible steps you could take outside of this episode, it's to try writing these things down, you know, practicing or having phrases or scripts ready to boundary set. Thanks for sending this email to me. I'll make sure I review it tomorrow morning when I'm back in the office. Or I have a couple of things on my list for the rest of today, but I'll make this a priority tomorrow. Or things like, you know, I appreciate that we can spend some time together. Thanks for inviting me out. I can only stay for a couple of hours. Because we're often so worried about what people are thinking, how people see us, or how we end up seeing ourselves. Are we being lazy? Are we being unhelpful or selfish? But when we start practicing these ways to boundary set, and of course, we can always think of how we can do it with tact and respectfulness rather than say, uh, this is not important. I'll look at it tomorrow, you know, versus thanks for sending that to me. I'll make sure to look at it tomorrow. Now there are different ways we can communicate boundary setting. So being able to have scripts or phrases in our back pockets that we can utilize. And then the other would be having a list of things we can do that are actual self-care things that are realistic for us, I think is the other thing that comes to mind. Right. We would love as therapists to work ourselves out of a job. (laughs) You know, we, we love what we do, but you know, it would be awesome if we, you know, it wasn't, if all this stuff wasn't an issue and people didn't come into therapy for, for these reasons. Um, So, so yeah, I, I love your suggestions and ideas. Um, And it's hard because there are so many different things that we have to attend to on a daily basis, just so many things. And it just becomes our putting ourselves as a priority just gets bumped lower and lower and lower every day on that priority list as new things come up. And, you know, I had someone tell me once life doesn't get easier. And I think that's right. We always think, oh, we're racing towards some sort of finish line and it's going to get easier and it's going to get better. And it really doesn't, (laughs) you know, I wouldn't say, you know, the more that you live, the more things that you experience and the more complications end up coming into your life. Um, and, And the more you have to have some of these coping skills and lists and tools in your toolbox to help manage some of this stuff on a daily basis. It's so true. It doesn't get easier, but we can manage and work through it better. That's definitely true. (laughs) So Shannon, I'm wondering if you have any other final comments or anything you'd like to plug and share for the listeners. 
you know, I love talking about burnout prevention. And one of the reasons is because burnout is so prevalent in the therapy field. And especially over the last few years during the pandemic, where we, when we as therapists have been going through the exact same thing everyone else has, but yet trying to support everyone else while it's happening to us. So burnout has really, really gone up over the past few years. And we're losing a lot of therapists in the field right now that we can't afford to lose because people are coming to therapy more and more more often, you know, more and more people are coming to therapy. So we don't want to lose the therapists in the field to burnout. So, you know, one of the things that I'm passionate about is providing that clinical support to therapists that they need it kind of uh, on a regular basis. So they're getting the support they need in their jobs. And for non-therapists out there, I think that can translate into what support are you getting at your job? You know, you can do all these things outside of work to help prevent burnout, but what support are you getting while you're in your job um, that's going to help you get through each day and help prevent that long-term burnout. Um, So I would just encourage everyone to, you know, do what you can to advocate for yourself to get your needs met in, in your professional workplace so you don't end up becoming a burnout statistic. One of the things I really love about working in a mental health clinic is when someone says, oh, I'm just not feeling well today. I need to step away for a couple of hours. Everyone is so supportive and wishing well and just being there for that person. And I think when you're in that environment where you step up for each other, you come back stronger just because, you know, in in those two hours, if you use that time to recharge, it's like that quality over quantity thing. Then you might be able to provide better services or work when you come back recharged. And while working from home is hard, it's also a way to have that flexibility. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, we want people to be fully functional and and at your best at all times. Yeah. And Shanna, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about burnout today, especially as a clinician and looking at it from a more professional lens, because it's true, it's burnout is most prevalent when we think about our work. And I'm wondering, how can the listeners find you and your clinic? Yes, thank you. Um, we are, my um, therapy practice is located in Colorado. So we provide um, therapy and counseling, both group and individual, to adults um, throughout Colorado telehealth or if you're in the Denver, Denver metro area um, in person. We also have a program where we provide support to therapists. We provide clinical consultation to therapists virtually, and you can access that if you're a fully licensed therapist from everywhere. That's Firelight Super supervision.com is our website and we would love to have you check us out and if you're feeling like you're in the early mid stages of burnout or you're just needing some some more clinical support in your daily work uh, we can give you that awesome and to support my podcast and help reach others please follow and share it with anyone looking to learn more about mental health For any listeners who are visual learners or would like some more resources, I invite you to read my blog posts on Shervin.ca and my Instagram at TherapyWithShervin for updates. Thanks again, Shannon, for being here. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.